Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Amen. Amen. Welcome, everybody. We're glad you're back in the hot middle of summer. School is coming. There's a lot coming. Let's enjoy these last final hours of somewhat peace and quiet and air conditioning while we can as we continue in our study of 1 Thessalonians. It's been an incredible ride. You remember last week, Paul makes a major turn from his focus on outside reaching outreaching, church planning, missionary focus to focus on the inside of the church. This week, we kind of continue on in that same focus. Next week, and even the week after that, he turns to a future-facing focus, but that's to come. This week, we're more inwardly focused, and as I was thinking about that and kind of reading through the text and listening to all what's going on around me, a song kept coming to mind. I, I almost suggested it to Pastor Philip, but in the last minute, I, I kind of thought, better about it, thought it might not work in worship. But let me just read a couple lines out of this from the great theologian, Freddie Mercury. He says, and I quote, another one bites the dust. Huh. Another one bites the dust. Huh, huh. Another one gone and another one gone. Another one bites the dust. Hey, it's going to get you too. Because, you got it, another one bites the dust. Did you know that every year in this country, 5,000 Protestant churches close their doors? That's roughly 100 churches a week. That means that 100 churches that are worshiping today, before next Sunday, they will have closed their doors and will not worship anymore. In these last few summer months, I heard of two such churches in our own neighborhood, names of churches that you would know. One is just kind of handing off the keys to another church because they can't do it anymore. The other one is literally closing the doors and selling the property. They are finished. One large reason for that is this overwhelming pressure from our culture, from our society, weighing down on these small congregations. Somehow they have lost their way. Somehow they have lost their momentum. Some way they have lost their calling from God, and they are being pressured by our culture out of our society. 2,000 years ago in the city of Thessalonica, very similar situation occurred. Paul had, you remember from the story, we've talked about it before, he had planted this young church in just a few weeks, maybe a few months at the most. Then he was forced out of town. You remember the story. He has now gone through three or four other towns, similar results, small beginnings, quickly rushed out of town by angry mobs. Now he's in Corinth, kind of licking his wounds, wondering, did anything good come out of all of this, and he is concerned. He's maybe even a little worried about this little bitty church back in Thessalonica because the mob that chased him out of town in Thessalonica, they were so bold, they chased him all the way to the next town, Berea, and chased him out of that town as well. He's thinking, how in the world are these folks going to make it with that kind of pressure? The word he uses is affliction or tribulation. How in the world are they going to survive? And so he writes chapter 3, and he asks them five questions. 
Based on, this, on their answers to these five questions, they stand strong in their faith. I believe you and I, this church, New Hope Church, 2023, we need to ask these same questions today. I don't know if our pressure, if our, if our persecution, if our, if our affliction and tribulation that we experience today is anything like Thessalonica. I believe, I believe one day it's coming but in the, in the face of what is facing us and, and pushing back against us, we need this chapter 3 more than ever before. So, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you have your phone, you can aim it at the QR code, the, the Bible text, the sermon notes will pop up, or you can just kind of follow behind me in the screen. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to start with verse number 1. Let me give you a little backstory. I love the backstory. It's important for us to understand. Like I just said, Paul is now in Corinth. He had been in Philippi first, then Thessalonica, then Berea, and then Athens, and now finally Corinth. In each place, he gets kicked out, chased out, uh, run out of town, and he's concerned. He's writing back to them, wanting to make sure they're okay. You remember the, the, the same mob that chased him out of Thessalonica followed him all the way to Berea. Berea is 50 miles 50 miles away, we're talking foot miles, not hop in your car and drive 50 miles. That's the drive. I'm talking about foot miles. The mob was so angry about Paul and this new preaching about Jesus and Christianity. They were so angry that they walked, marched, ran, stomped 50 miles just to chase him out of the next town. This is the persecution, the pushback he is facing. So rightly so, he's concerned about the Thessalonians and their faith. He'd only been there a few weeks. So when he's in Corinth, he made sure that Timothy runs back, heads back, just to check on them, to find out, maybe encourage them, maybe strengthen them. And here's the deal. When he's in Corinth, he gets fantastic news. They're not only surviving, they're actually thriving. And based on that news, he writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians and later 2 Thessalonians, back to this young church to encourage them to, 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 uh, to build them up, to establish them. And this is what's happening. They've not only uh, uh, not lost their faith, they've grown stronger in their faith. They've even grown stronger in their love for Paul. So this is where this is all coming from. So let's walk through these five questions that Paul, the text, asked to these people because I think God is asking us the same ones. First question is this, where is your community. Number one, where is your community? Look at verse number one. So therefore, when we, Paul and his cohorts, when we could bear it no longer, we were even willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Let's just stop right there. Therefore, anytime English teachers, you know the drill, uh, Bible readers, you know the drill. Every time you see that word, therefore, you have to ask the question, what is it there for, right? You remember that deal. Well, this word, therefore, it is there because it is saying everything that happens now, everything that I say now, everything that is coming now is based on or an answer to what just happened what just happened at the end of chapter 2. Well, to save time, let me just tell you, that's the part where Paul says, I longed, I begged God to be able to return to you in person, to kind of pour into you, encourage you, even protect you if I could. But Satan, the enemy, the devil prevented me. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's impossible. 
We're talking about Paul. I mean, Paul, uh, the writer of more books in the New Testament than anyone else, the the great theologian, the great missionary, the, the, the bull in a china shop, Paul. Nobody tells Paul what to do, but apparently the devil at that time, at that opportune time, had the power to prevent him from returning. And so because of that, he writes this letter. And this is what he says. Because, because I couldn't come back, this is what I'm saying. We're willing to be left alone in Athens. So why is that so important? Willing means, in English, it means, well, uh, we're okay with, or it's all right if, and uh, I guess I can live with. In the original language, it's actually a little bit stronger. Paul's saying, I'm not only okay with it, I'm actually good with it. I think it is best that I, Paul, stay alone in Corinth, sending Timothy and the others away. Why is this a big deal? The the word left alone he uses is actually the word abandoned. Like an older couple, if one passes before the other, the, the remaining spouse says, I feel so alone. Is there anyone more alone than a surviving spouse? I've been abandoned. You know how that is. Have you, ever, have you ever felt that feeling? I mean, you don't have to live on a, on a deserted island to feel all alone. I mean, you could be right in the middle of a mega city. Millions of people running, flying, driving past you, and you're right there. But because you know no one, and no one in that big city knows you, even in a mega city, you feel all alone. The same is true in a, in a mega church right in the middle of all that action, all that activity, all of those folks, smiling faces, but you are not known by anyone, anyone, nor do you know anyone. So even in the middle of a mega church, you can be all alone. This was a big ask for Paul. Paul never did anything all alone. He chose, it was his way to live and to minister in community. This is how he did things. He was always with, for example, Timothy. You remember Timothy, his young protege. Paul was a mentor, and Timothy was a mentee. Paul was pouring into him, discipling him, preparing him for the ministry. Then he had guys like Barnabas. Barnabas was kind of like a a partner in ministry. They would go on mission trips and missionary journeys together, kind of Iron sharpening iron, two equals out reaching the world for God. And then thirdly, he would also work in a team. He had guys like Silas and, and John Mark and others that they would have that, that kind of that teamwork synergy that happens when a whole group of us are working together. This was Paul's way. This is how he always chose to do things. He never chose to do things alone. He didn't like that. He didn't want that. He didn't think it was good. Personally, I... I understand what he says. When I, when I hear of a, of a guy or a gal choosing to do ministry or to, to be off on their own, I get a little uneasy for them. I don't know that that is a biblical model of ministry, that, that a guy or a gal or a couple or a family would be off on their own trying to, to fight the fight on their own, to, to win the world on their own, to live out their Christianity on their own. We were made, especially the church family, we were made to do life together as a, as a family, together. The, 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 we, that is a product of our modern culture. We are in independent society and this whole COVID work from home thing that has only exacerbated the problem. We work in isolation. We work virtually. There is no accountability. There is no fellowship. There is no encouragement. There is no skin on skin that we need so desperately. Paul understood the value of synergy, of discipleship, of accountability, of encouragement, 
and of protection that happens in a community. Where is your community? Second question we need to ask, who is your plus one? Who is your plus one? Look at verse number two. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and get this, he calls him God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith. This is really important for Paul. He's, he's now sending Timothy, and he gives him this really cool title. He calls him God's co-worker. Now, that's a cool title. I mean, if I think of all the Bible titles, Peter the Rock, you know, or the Sons of Thunder. There's some cool superhero names in the Bible, but this one is right up there with the coolest. This is the kind of thing you put on your business card. Who are you? Well, I'm uh, pretty much, I'm God's, uh, I'm God's co-worker. You can call me co-God if you want. I'm like right there with them. You know, he, he doesn't do anything without checking with me first. We're, we're kind of out there together, right on the, 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 the edge of the spear, me and God, right? <laughs> well, here's the deal. It's not just because Peter was someone special that he got this special cool name. Over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, guess what? Paul calls all of us. Back home in uh, Tennessee where Jacob's from, he'd say, God calls all y'all. <laughs> God calls all y'all. Uh, co-workers of God. This is exactly what God is saying. We are his co-worker. That word co-worker is the word in Greek, synergos. It's the same as synergy. You and I understand that word, uh, word when we do things together, when we work together, the, the, the results or what comes out is greater than the sum of all the individual parts. That's why God brings us together. You plus who? You plus your spouse you're able to raise a whole herd of kids, especially if you're Pastor Matt and his awesome wife, Kara. I mean, as many as six, they're outnumbered, but it's no problem because Matt plus Kara, of course, plus God, they're able to do it. You, you plus your church family, we together are able to reach an entire city. You plus God, you are able to change a world. This is what God is calling us to, and this is what God called Timothy to. Look what happens when God is your plus one. Look what happens when, when Timothy, a co-worker of God, God was his plus one, the ministry that he had back to these new believers. Here's the deal, folks. That wasn't the only church with new believers. Today, new hope. In this church, we have new believers, we have new families, we have experienced believers that are new to this area. God has brought a number of new folks to New, new Hope in these last months. This is a ministry for you and for me. Are you a Timothy for these folks? What did he do? Number one, the Bible says he established. That word means to, uh, to use all means necessary to make sure something doesn't fall over. You plant it in the ground, you build a foundation, you build props or even bolster it up. Whatever you have to do to make sure that thing or that person does not fall over. That's what establish means. What would that look like in the church? Time, time, and more time. Praying together, reading God's word together, fellowshipping together, listening encouraging, building up, challenging, accountability to each other. All of these things are a part of that establishing. But then he also goes on and encourages. This is that famous word we read over and over and over again in the New Testament, parakaleo. It's the same title that we give to the Holy Spirit, he who comes alongside of us. This word means to come alongside someone 
almost, almost put your arm around their shoulder and then speak words of power or words of encouragement into their ear, into their heart, into their spirit. So not only is he building them up and making them stronger, you, you can do this, nothing's going to knock you over, not sin, not persecution, not the enemy, but he's also coming alongside and saying, listen, you can do this. God sees something in you. God planted something in you. God has a plan for your life. He has a future and a purpose for you. I know with God's help, you can do this. This is what Timothy was doing for these young believers. But then he did something over in verse 5 we haven't read yet that I think is very interesting. Look at verse 5. Let me just read it for you. I don't know that we have it in the notes. He says, for this reason, when I could, not, could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you. The tempter had tempted you. Haters are going to hate. And tempters are going to tempt. It's what they do. He knew that temptation, that persecution, that tribulation, that affliction, he knew that was coming. He knew it was coming hard. And so he was concerned maybe worried. And so at this point, he actually sends Timothy back, yes, to establish, yes, to encourage, but also to check up on him. Now you might say, well, Paul, come on, where's your faith? <laughs> Have faith in God. Have faith in your people. You don't need to be worried about us. No, this is exactly what Paul did. He sent Timothy to check on him. Here's the deal, folks. That is on you. If you are someone's Timothy, you're sent to establish and encourage, yes, but also to check up on. We've had We've had a bunch of folks, like every church in America, about 30%, just so you know the stats, about 30% of our church folks here and all across evangelical churches in America, during COVID, they walked away from church never to be seen again. 30%. Who's going after those folks? Yeah, I called, I visited, I emailed, I texted, I prayed for, I knocked on doors like, like any good pastor would do. But what if... What if you were their Timothy? What if you, like Paul sent him, you were sent to check on, to learn about, to ask about, to pray with, to personally invite? What difference might that make in one of these folks' hearts? Third question. Third question is a good one for us today. Are you playing it safe? Look at verses three and four. And that no one be moved by these afflictions... For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. Don't want us to be moved by affliction. What is Paul saying here? That word moved is actually a funny word. I don't know that it's going to help you understand it any better when I tell you what that word originally meant. Don't be moved by affliction. That word moved means wag your tail, right? That probably didn't help any of us understand that. What does it mean? Well, if you can, if you can picture a cute little puppy dog, now you could be the, the hardest, angriest, or the busiest uh, heading for your goal kind of person in the world, but that cute little puppy dog comes up wagging his little tail right at you. You can't help but stop and be distracted, bend over, start cuddling, loving on that little puppy dog. That's how human nature is. We're just drawn to that kind of cuteness. The enemy knows that. He knows exactly what it takes to distract you and what it takes to distract me. And if it's a cute little puppy dog wagging his little tail, he will use a cute little puppy dog wagging his tail. He wants to distract you, what? 
with these afflictions, telling us, oh, those afflictions you're going through, that's just proof that you don't need this Christianity stuff. It's too much work. It's too hard. It's not supposed to be that hard. If it's that hard, you must be doing something wrong. Throw in the towel now, the enemy says. It's not worth it. Now, what are these afflictions that we're so distracted by that the enemy would use to sidetrack and sidebar our lives from God? What do these mean? The word affliction means literally to press or to crush. From all sides, pressure being uh, induced on an object. In those days, it would have been grapes to make wine, right? You press grapes or you stomp grapes or, or, or uh, olives. You press olives or you roll these incredibly heavy stones over them, putting pressure on on all sides. Why? When you put that pressure on, that which is on the inside comes out. That's exactly what this word means, and that's exactly what they were going through. The crazy part is this kind of, this kind of pressure that is being exerted on these brand new believers, the pressure that's being exerted on you and on me in our culture today, what is on the inside will naturally come out. Folks, what's coming out is not always pretty. And this is why God wants us to understand this, because why? Because, in fact, he even says it here, you have been destined for this, or your translation might say, you have been appointed for this. Appointed? Appointed for affliction? I don't know about you. I certainly didn't make an appointment with affliction. I didn't want affliction. Why would, why would God want to afflict anyone? Why would I have to go through hard times? Why would there have to be something putting pressure on all sides, crushing me, causing that which is on the inside to come out? Why would God want that? Apparently, it's a part of, maybe even a big part of, our Christian life. Paul went through it, shipwrecked, beaten, Stoned, flogged, thrown in prison, uh, uh, drown, nearly drowned multiple times, all that he went through. Even Jesus, look at, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 5, it says this about Jesus. Although Jesus was a son, he, Jesus, learned obedience through affliction. Are you kidding me? God even allowed, maybe caused affliction for Jesus to learn something. If Paul had to learn something, even if Jesus had to learn something through affliction, guess what, folks? We aren't getting out of it. It is a part of our life as well. This is important. Are we playing it safe and avoiding that? Too often we spend an inordinate amount of time when we're in the middle of some kind of affliction, persecution, some kind of crushing experience in the family, uh, here in church, at, at work, wherever that is, and we spend so much time wondering, is this from God or is this from the enemy? And there might be a little bit of benefit that comes out of that consternation and that discussion, but really even more important than that is, is the next time you find yourself in one of those kind of crucible instances where, where you're feeling pressure from all sides, rather than wonder where or why or who, just say, God, I don't want to be here, but I sure want to learn what you want to teach me. God, if you taught Jesus himself things in the midst of affliction, then I know you want to teach me something. What do you want me to learn? Help me to learn that quick, because I want out now. And what would God teach you? What would God show you? What would God bring you through? Maybe you learn it so well, you don't have to go through that affliction ever again. This is what God wants to do. Too many preach today about storm avoidance, fit in, 
Do what the world does. Match your life to the society and the culture out there. Maybe then you won't have to go through the afflictions that the biblical characters had to go through. Paul wasn't that way. Paul took his ship and he aimed it right at the storm. Our storms come from northwest, by the way. We're heading right into it. Are you ready for the afflictions that are coming? Number four. Are you a spiritual influencer? Look at verses 7 and 8, a spiritual influencer. For this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. This is Paul. Now, we, we know what a, what a social media influencer is, right? We, we see that on the news. We, we see that on, on social media. A social media influencer is someone who's producing content or, or, or putting out vlogs or videos or, or, or text or, or blogs, whatever it takes for you, what? To like them. They're looking for likes. Like me, a social media influencer says, that wins them something monetarily or at least for their weak psyche. So, so a, a spiritual influence is very different. Yes, they're putting out content. Yes, they're, put, they're communicating with folks that are watching and listening to them. But rather than saying like me, they're saying like Jesus. This is who we are to be. Are you a spiritual influencer or an influencer for yourself? Have you ever considered the impact, the impact of the faith of this small group of brand new believers, the impact of them not only having faith, but actually growing in their faith, the impact that that had on, on, on others and on Paul, it would be difficult to overestimate how important this one fact was. I mean, these folks, Paul didn't get excited about this, this group and start writing this letter back because they were serving well, they were giving well, they were, they were, they were praying well, they were doing all these things well. All of this excitement, what, what gave him life is the word, the word he says there in verse 8. What gave him life is the fact that they still maintained a strong faith. What if Paul had gotten a different report? I and mean, what if the report had come back, well... Paul, we made it a week and a half, but then they changed the service times over at church, and that just didn't work with my schedule, so I, 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 just, I just couldn't do it anymore. Oh, Paul, I made it two and a half weeks this time, but, you know, and then my neighbor, he, well, he kind of made fun of me. Well, not really, but he looked like he was making fun of me about going to church, so, so I just quit going altogether. That's the kind of report. Had Paul gotten that, and he'd, at, at the point he was, the lowest point, I believe, the lowest point in his ministry, defeated, uh, destroyed, exhausted, a little bit in shock, and literally licking wounds that had been beaten into his back, had he gotten that kind of report in that place, he, he may have thrown in the towel. At least with the Thessalonian church, maybe with his ministry altogether. We wouldn't have the letters of Paul. We wouldn't have the example of Paul. Can you imagine how influential it is when you and I exhibit real faith? It can change a church. It can change a city. It can change a life. Growing up, I had a best friend. Jordy was his name. He's, he's still my friend. Now, because he's grown up, we have to call him George. But back then, I called him Jordy. Uh, we, we were born three months apart and he lived three houses down so we did everything together in our street got in all the trouble that boys get into and say, stayed out as late as we were allowed plus another hour I mean that he was my best buddy we did everything together my family went to church Jordy's family did not but that was okay we were kids we didn't talk about those kind of things until we were about 17 it was the summer before our senior year of high school and his parents were going through a divorce 
And for the first time ever, Jordy started thinking things that he had never thought before, feeling things he had never felt before, asking questions that he had never in his little 17-year-old life asked before. One day he says, hey, um, you going to church on Sunday? I said, yeah. He said, can I go with you? I said, sure. Shame on me. I'd never invited him. My family went to church. His family didn't. Jordy came to church. Within two weeks, God had grabbed his heart. He was radically saved. It turned that, that, that boy heading towards depression, heading towards a downward spiral, radically transformed life. He, he applied for college, came to University of Florida, God's country with me, met a gorgeous, godly, perfect wife, Catherine, married that girl, went off to seminary, became a hospital chaplain, poured his life into ministry. They had kids. He poured his life into his kids, raised them in the Christian faith. They are believers now. He is going to heaven. You will meet Jordy in heaven because of the faith of a 17-year-old kid, and I was not the exemplary evangelist that I am today inviting everyone I talked to. It wasn't even on my radar, but God used that little bit of faith that I had. God wants to use that little bit of faith that you have living it out everywhere you go so that others would know the opposite is also true. If we hide our faith or our faith is not growing, if our faith is not evident to those we come in contact with, the folks we haven't yet started talking about the uh, Jesus gospel with yet, God wants to use that. But if we haven't started doing that and it's not evident to them, they will never know and they will miss that opportunity. And then, folks, there's one final question that we have. How is your prayer life? Look at verses 10 all the way to the end. 10 all the way to the end. In fact, let me tell you, tell you one more story first. In seminary, we had an Old Testament professor named Dr. Aiken. Dr. Aiken was a, uh, a very serious man, but a very godly man. Uh, a wordsmith is what we would call him. Everything he said, everything that came out of his mouth was perfect. Whether it was the Old Testament class, he also taught a Sunday school class. Remember Sunday school? He taught a Sunday school class at our church. We attended the same church. Uh, oftentimes he would speak at graduations or other ceremonies. Every word he said was perfect. Well thought out, well prepared. Oftentimes he would say prayers over a group, over a class, over a couple, over a person. He would write out every word. He was very scripted, very old school that way, on a typewriter, every single word. When he would pray for you or pray for a class, he would at the end of that ceremony fold up that letter, that prayer that he just prayed, and he would present it to you. That paper was gold. The words that he had spoken over you, the well-thought-out, well-prayed-through, well-prepared, wordsmith-crafted words were like words from God himself. And he we, we treasured those prayers. We framed those prayers. It was as if an angel had spoken over us. This is the prayer we're about to read, 10, 11, 12, 13. This is Paul praying over this young Church, listen to what he says. Verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see, your see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Let me just stop right there.
What's happening here? God is pray, uh, excuse me, Paul is praying over these folks. The word for prayer that Paul happened to choose here is not the typical word for prayer. The typical word for prayer means to exchange ideas for God's prayer and God's hand. This word is different. This is actually the word for beg or beseech, or intensely ask for something that you do not have from the very bottom of your heart in a very loud voice. This is a word that God and Paul choose to use here, and then he says earnestly. Earnestly, it doesn't even touch it in English because what it means in in the original language is over and above, more than ever. And then, if that word was enough, God threw in a little prefix called hyper, in English, means the same as it did in the original language, which means over and above and extra. So he's saying, I am begging earnestly, urgently from God, over and above, extra, more than needed. For what? For all of these things. When was the last time you prayed one of these hyper prayers? Over and above, begging God earnestly, crying out to, for, to him for something that you desperately needed. Parents at, the, uh, at a hospital bedside of a child, they know these kind of prayers. Daddies desperately trying to reach their baby girls that are an hour late for curfew and their phone's not picking up, they know these kind of prayers. If you're on an airplane and you hear the captain call, brace, 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 You're praying these kind of prayers. We know what this would look like. This is the kind of prayer that Paul is praying over his people, how important it is for them to know. What is he asking for? Three things. Number one, that that God would supply or, or finish that which is lacking in their faith to finish up, to mature, to grow to maturity, this incredible faith that has already started to grow in their lives. In, in just a few short weeks, even a few short months, by the time the letter finally reaches him, that God would make that final. Where do you need to grow? As well, as ripe and as, as mature as some of us are in this room, decades with God, decades in a church family, there is still room for growth for each one of us. Then he says, direct our way. This is an important prayer, not only for new believers, but for us as well. Praying that God, he doesn't say, and God, make their way easy. <laughs> God, make their way short. God, make their way uh, 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 not difficult. The, the word direct means uh, to straighten out and to make it clear. He's not praying for a shortcut, not praying for a detour, not praying for an end of the affliction. He's saying that when I pray for them, I'm praying that they would have clarity in the call that you've placed on their lives, that they would know where it is and they would be able, be able to aim their lives straight for the goal that you've put before them. And then thirdly, he asked that God would cause him to abound in love. If you remember, they're already abounding in love, that word agape, that unconditional love. This is not some kind of correction like, oh, they're not very loving, let's make sure they're loving. No, no, no. He's saying, you're already loving, I'm asking for you to abound in it. That word abound means to to blossom like a flower, that you would bloom in your agape, unconditional love for others. Can Can you imagine I mean, you don't even have to be a flower lover. I'm a flower lover. I love flowers. But, but can you imagine what that would look like if each one of you was a blooming, blossoming flower of agape love? Can you imagine the fragrance that would come up out of, out of that? I mean, it would, it would fill this room easily. 
It would flow out those doors. It would run up and down Nicholas. People would stop their cars to smell the roses. This is what Paul is praying for, for his believers. This is my prayer for you as well. Folks, our church looks an awful lot like this church back in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago. We have all kinds of new folks. Some of those new folks are brand new believers. Some are already believers. They've moved to the area or they've begun coming to our church or they've just started coming back to our church. God is bringing those folks back. If we are to continue to grow as a church and reach our city for Jesus Christ, then we must Remain strong. We must grow strong. God is calling you and me to be a Timothy to these new folks, to establish, to encourage, to check in on, to challenge and point and direct the way, the gospel way for each one of them. Folks, I know we can change our city, but we're going to need every one of us to do it. There's power There's power when we do it together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the the testimony of this church in Thessalonica. God, it it challenged, but it encouraged Paul 2,000 years ago. And because of that, we have Paul's writings and we have uh, Paul's stories and his continued ministry. I thank you, God, that that they did not send a bad report, but they were faithful. But I pray that that same thing would be true of us today. Others, churches, pastors, folks in other places would be encouraged because of what you're doing here. That our faith, our growing faith would strengthen those who maybe we've never even met. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.